Hello, it is Sunday, August 16th. Time for a new edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. And I am your host, Trent Reinsmith. I want to start off tonight with um, talking a little bit about the things that kind of graded on me from, from last night's UFC 252 pay-per-view card. And the first thing that bothered me was the opening video. I don't know who they had to do the voiceover, but just listen to this and see if, if you think it's not a little off. One of the most memorable and incredible trilogies in UFC history comes to a head. Oh, poor man, now the speech is down. History. The two most decorated heavyweight champions to ever set foot in the octagon traded their best shots. Steve exacts his revenge! And now, must decide once and for all who is the greatest of all time. What DC's in for tonight is a brutal beating. We're walking out with the belt, still wrapping on waist in here, and still. Tonight, I prove that I'm the greatest heavyweight of all time. It's the heavyweight title fight we've all been waiting for. But first. Yeah, it, that whole thing just felt like a little, I don't know, comic booky. It was over the top. The voice was just weird and off, and it just seemed excessive, and it set a bad tone. It just seemed, I don't know, I just, it, it was different, and not different in a good way, different in a we're trying too hard kind of way. And it was very noticeable. And I, I, I saw more than one comment on social media about about how, uh, about how strange it was. And from there, when Anik went to do the intro of himself, Rogan and Dominic Cruz, the, the commentary team for the event, it got a little awkward. Watching, truly great to have you with us, especially right off the top tonight. We are inside the UFC Apex here in Vegas. John Anik alongside Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz. It is great to see you, man. Let's go. I'm very excited. <laughs> Beyond. Dom, how you doing down there? You're pretty far away tonight. Hey, guys. Yeah, we need you a little closer, buddy. No, six feet. <laughs> Follow the rules. Everyone here is tested. I mean, we're good. We're good. All right, well, let's get into it, Joe. So we have a trilogy. I don't know if that was just because they hadn't worked together for a while or if there's some tension, but there did seem to be some tension um, between Rogan and Cruz as the night wore on, especially when it came to grappling positions and techniques. They were having some kind of passive-aggressive kind of arguments there, and it was noticeable and commented on on social media that Rogan would say one thing and Cruz would correct him and and then if the technique got back to what Rogan had initially said it was which Cruz thought was incorrect Cruz would then say well that's that's the position or the technique that Rogan had spoke about so it was weird the um the interaction between Rogan and Cruz got a little, a little weird, and a little—I don't know if it got 
tense, but it was definitely strange and not the same kind of interaction we're, we're used to, especially with folks who are a little more easygoing, such as um, Bisping and Felder, who can kind of laugh off an air or laugh off uh, saying something that is incorrect. And when they get corrected on uh, social media or by another commentator, they, uh, they just kind of shrug it off own the mistake and then move on but this this just got weird and and it, i didn't like it and it, it was not good for the broadcast when it did happen this next thing was i don't know what it was but someone wrote a script or stephen a smith wrote a script and it was based on sean o'malley and it just had him being compared prematurely and ridiculously to other athletes. And it came across as sort of a... If Stephen A. Smith did not write this, it came across as sort of a Ron Burgundy in that he'll you know, put it in front of him and he'll read anything that's on the teleprompter. It was weird. It was uncomfortable. And, and most of all, it was unnecessary, especially for someone uh, like O'Malley who is still moving his way up and has still not proven himself to be among the elite. Yes, he's an exciting fighter. Yes, we all like to see him fight. Yes, he has the it factor, but he's still very much um, not at his... He's not at his peak is what I'm saying, and he's moving up and moving up at a pace he should be moving up at and to compare him to who these the folks that uh, Smith is comparing him to in this in this clip is just kind of crazy it's time to buy stock in sugar shot O'Malley where'd you get these crackheads from Craigslist welcome to the sugar show everybody Sugar Sean O'Malley is the UFC's fastest rising star. He's only 25, but already 4-0 in the UFC. You know who else was 4-0 at the age of 25? Current UFC lightweight champion, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib Nurmagomedov! Wow! O'Malley has two first-round finishes in his first four fights, reminiscent of Ronda Rousey's start in the UFC. First-round hardcore finish for the champion, Ronda Rousey! But it's more than just the wins and the stats that make O'Malley must-see TV. Sean O'Malley has it. I'm looking for somebody who has that thing. Sean O'Malley is that thing. This is my show. I freaking love you, Joe Rogan. O'Malley has the poise to rise up in the biggest moments. Think Luka Doncic burying a shot in crunch time. Luka! Oh, How did he do it? The best walkaway KO I've ever seen. That was worth 100 Gs. His creativity, his skill, right up there with reigning NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a cheat code. He breaks the code. He can do whatever the hell he wants to do, whenever the hell he wants to do it. I feel like I have a lot of tricks, a lot of sweet setups that I have that are going to end in knockouts. And his style and fashion sense would make even Russell Westbrook do a double take. Grab your popcorn, everybody, because Saturday night at UFC 252, you won't want to miss the next episode of the sugar show come on now there was no one 
around that could have read that script and said, you know, maybe, hey, slow down. A little too soon, a little too much. But when it comes to the UFC's brand of public relations and uh, hype, there's no limit to the hyperbole that can be used. And that, that, that was a good example of it. So I know we uh, often laugh and joke and make fun of the UFC's pay structure because it's abysmal. But we had another example of a fighter who seven fights into his UFC career got a win last night. It was ranked before last night. And yet, I'm going to assume up until very recently, and it sounded like up until maybe last night, he was working construction. And that fighter was Marab Devalishvili. And if I butchered that name, I'm sorry. But here he is talking about that job. Right, yeah, right. But um, like I said, I'm training hard with Sarah Longo team. Thank my, thanks my coach, Matt Sarah and Ray Longo. Uh, and uh, thank, thank all my team, Sarah Longo team. We're training hard and then I'm just, I'm, I'm just, this is just beginning of my career. I was, I was working full time construction. Now I'm, 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 I'm about to leave my job. I don't need to anymore to work construction because I'm full time UFC fighter. I'm busy. That's, this is my third time this year, 2020. And that's all I want. I want to fight. I, and then thank, thank God and thank UFC. They, they pay good money. So it's now for living. So I'm coming from nothing, but uh, now this win, this wins give, give me chance to I can buy house in New York with the. Now this is dream, dreams come true. So I'm just happy. I'm hungry. All I want to do is fighting, and I'm I'm ready. That's all I'm doing. The uh, the opening fight of the night between Kai Kamaka the third and Tony Kelly was a fantastic fight. It was even more fantastic when you consider the fact that these guys were both making their UFC debuts. And I believe the fight was on short notice. But they went out there for 15 minutes and uh, they, they really gave it their all. I was worried that they one or both of them was going to gas. There were moments where there was kind of a reset. But I don't think either of them ran out of gas during the fight. But... It, just watching that fight and how everyone was reacting to it and how good it was and how it was a high-level fight for, uh, for an opening car, a card, for the opening fight on a pay-per-view card. I'm sorry, an opening fight on the early prelims of a pay-per-view card. And the amount of uh, damage these two did to each other um, was just a reminder that Kelly walked away probably with $12,000 for that for his effort and Kamaka who won got 24,000 I'm going to assume based on the numbers we usually see for debuting UFC fighters it's fantastic that they did earn fight of the night so they each picked up another 50 grand but the number of opening opening fights on a on a pay-per-view card that have gotten a bonus are probably few 
and far between. And while it was definitely deserved, it was kind of a shock to see it, uh, especially with the uh, uh, the the names that were above them on the card, and that they weren't they were not recognizable names, uh, Kamaka and Kelly. Um, they after that fight they should be though because they really really um, delivered. They delivered a high level, fantastic fight. But it was just a reminder that the the UFC is pay is abysmally low and the the UFC wants to compare itself to all these other leagues and wants to say it's a professional sporting organization but it's paying fighters wages that seven fights into their UFC careers with five wins they still have to work construction jobs before they can uh, train as a full-time UFC fighter so if you're going to say you're a professional organization, you really should should pay like one. At one point in the broadcast, Anik said something about, I think he was referring to the uh, the number of just the COVID-19 testing in the UFC and how it's been a success. And I think it took a shot at other sporting leagues. But the reality is the NHL and the NBA are having great success in their bubbles. MLB, not so much. But the NHL and, and NBA are having a lot of success. And so it's to paint something with a wide brush like that when uh, the reference was to one league is silly. And it's wrong. It's, it's, also, yeah, it's, it's wrong and it's also childish because why do that? Do you think that the NHL is going to take a swipe at the, the UFC's pay structure and say and that the the rookies in the NHL are making I'm going to guess probably around half a million dollars while the, the first fight in the UFC's they're making maybe 50,000 a year, probably a lot less. And then they're paying everybody out of that 50 grand, so you know they're taking home way less. Do you see the do you see the NHL doing that? Do you see the NBA doing that? No. So why does the UFC always do that? Why do they compare themselves on certain things to other leagues? But then when it comes to pay, well, that's a different thing. The UFC is an opportunity. It's not a career. No. If you're going to compare yourself, if you're going to say you're a professional sports organization, you have to do that across the board. And if the UFC wants to do that across the board, I'll gladly help them out. Because as far as how they deal with their athletes and how they handle their athletes and how they treat their athletes, compared to MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, the UFC is in the dust. Not even close to any of those sports. So if you want to compare, compare everything, not just selectively compare. Uh, lastly, I found it a little odd that Sean O'Malley was definitely injured and definitely needing medical care after his loss to Marlon Berra um, because his leg was clearly injured badly. And the one thing the UFC commentators wanted to do was to get an interview with him. They spoke of corralling O'Malley to speak to him if they could. That was dumb. Why would you want to do that? 
he was obviously in pain, obviously hurt. He had lost for the first time in his career, and he needed medical attention. Let him get medical attention before even worry about speaking to him. An interview with a injured, uh, concussed, a fighter who needs medical attention uh, as soon as possible, there's no need to speak to any of those people. And even Cormier, I don't know if I would have spoke to him because if he if he could not see at all out of his eye, that is distressing. And it's very stressful. It happened to me once, and it is it's scary. It 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 gave me a panic attack because I couldn't see. You know, you don't know if you're going to be blind permanently. All you know is that you're. Eye is injured, and you can't see. So you need to speak to someone that can, one, calm you down, and two, tell you what's wrong with your eye. So I don't even know if the uh, that that was good because um, he should have been taken to a, uh, a a doctor as soon as possible after that just to get everything taken care of as far as just chilling him out because yeah, not being able to see is. Uh, not good. Not good at all. So, yeah, there was a lot of little things that were that were weird about last night's fight card. And uh, that's um, those are the ones I had written down for the event. Conor McGregor has slowed down on this a little bit as of late. And this is getting on Twitter during a main event of a fight card and kind of trying to get the spotlight to shine on him and I'm glad that he stopped doing that because it seems silly and it seems childish and it seems just like you need the spotlight at all times now John Jones did this on Saturday but one he has that pretty pretty contentious rivalry with with Cormier so I can understand his interest in the fight. And two, he's been toying with a heavyweight for a while, and so maybe the the genuine interest is there. But then I was reminded that this is nothing new from, from Jones. And we know that he said he wanted to fight Ngannou if the if the UFC was going to pay him, and the UFC said, nah, I don't think so. And so that kind of crapped out but when I brought this up on Twitter I just tweeted something about did Conor McGregor hack John Jones tonight because of all the the tweeting of, of Jones and it was a joke it wasn't serious so don't get all uh, in your feelings about that if you're a John Jones fan or a Conor McGregor fan it was just a joke but um Casey J. Bach tweeted to me a story from 2013, and I had forgotten about this. I know that there was other times that Jones had toyed with um, going to heavyweight, but this was from 2013 from uh, MMA Fighting. John Jones wants super fight with Cain Velasquez, plans permanent heavyweight move within two years. By David St. Martin, November 25th, 2013. So, yeah, 
take that one for what it's worth, but it's just a little weird that we've now been hearing for almost seven years that John Jones is going to move to heavyweight. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put too much stock into this move now after remember being reminded of how long John Jones has been toying with this. So yeah, it was just something that uh that got brought up, something I wanted to talk about a little bit. So just something silly. Luke Thomas brought this up and it reminded me of something. He was trying to get a good angle a uh, camera shot of Marlon Vera landing the kick on Sean O'Malley that damaged his leg and he could only get one camera angle and he Luke brought up the fact that the NBA in the bubble is toying with different camera angles and using a, more cameras because they have the they don't have any crowds and so they can do these things they can try new things and and set up new cameras for better angles and give fans uh, at home a, a better viewing experience you know, since the crowds aren't there the NHL is doing the same thing I, I noticed that the other day they were putting up a, a lot more camera angles um, and trying new and different things and the UFC is not doing that and this was one of the suggestions or things I had hoped I mentioned this a while ago back when the UFC was going to move to the apex and I'll mention it again in because it doesn't look like uh, this is going to change anytime soon and we're going to have more fights at the apex and fight island and and adjusting those two spots and that's going to still it would gives the UFC the ability ability to innovate and try new things and if they don't work they don't work but at least try them give give different angles throw more cameras out there give us something different um the ufc seems to find a, a groove and then just walk that groove until they're it's so deep it's it's over their heads and i don't understand it in the least but that's what they do and they don't you know take for instance face the pain when that was still going for years after everyone just wanted it buried um, but Dana White liked it and so it stayed and maybe that's the thing that the UFC has to bow to whatever Dana White thinks but it shouldn't be that way There, the, this, there's a lot of smart people there let them do some different things let the producers produce. Let let them suggest new things. And um, if you don't like it, and I'm referring to White here, if he doesn't like it, don't dismiss it. That's a sign of a bad boss. A bad boss is one who dismisses things and says, uh, this is the way we've always done it. Why should we change? It works. Well, maybe something works better. Or if it doesn't, at least you can say you tried it. And people who work for you like like when their ideas are at least tried and if you don't like them and they or they don't work uh, explain those things that's what people want to hear they don't want to be dismissed they don't want to be um threatened or afraid to to offer something new and I, and i don't know if that's what's happening but i'm going to guess that's what's happening because white seems to enjoy being the one guy who makes the decisions 
even if those some decisions are sometimes knuckleheaded, such as leaving Face the Pain in as the song for years. So I, I would beg the UFC to try something new, innovate, do something different. White always likes to say how how the UFC is on the cutting edge of things. Will show us that instead of just telling us that. At the end of the third round of the main event in UFC 226, Stipe Miocic did poke uh, Daniel Cormier in the eye badly, as we all know, and but it got missed by Mark Goddard. And Goddard owned up to his mistake after the fight when he saw the replay, which is good on him. You, you can't call what you can't see. But that leads to the question of what can change. And I think Scott Fantana brought this up on Twitter. Why can't the, you, why can't the officials have an official outside for things that get missed? Uh, other sports have this. They can go to, they can go to off, off field, off court, whatever, to check on calls. Now, in the case of Cormier, I don't know what you do because an eye poke doesn't warrant a extended break. Yes, you can bring the doctor in, but you don't get that five minutes. Um, so I don't know really what could have been done. Maybe you you. Give him his minute between rounds, and then you bring the doctor in uh, to check to give him some more time. But I don't really know. But the the option is there to do this, to to do that. And um, but the commission has to approve it, and that might be a barrier. Uh, the UFC might not like it, or other promotions might not like it. But who don't really care about that because that's not really their say. That's up to the commission. So if you could do that, uh, maybe maybe think about it. Because it's not that hard to relay a message to the referee via the via the outside referee. Um, there's there's ways that can be done. Um, California has ways that the ringside physicians can can communicate with the in cage referees with without signaling people outside outside so they can they can communicate um, wordlessly more or less so why not add that kind of layer um, uh, yes there is instant replay that can be utilized but once you use instant replay um, the fight comes to an end per the per the rules so if Goddard had wanted to go to the instant replay the fight would have ended at that point so that's a real risky proposition and one I don't think should be used unless it's an extreme and egregious case of of something. But I don't think last night would have done that because the way the rules are, at best you can just bring a doctor in to look at, at Cormier. Yes, it'll buy him more time, but it's not going to really change anything unless he says he can't fight or he can't see. But he could have done that anyway. He could have told the commission, uh, the official that is in the cage between rounds that, and that would have done the same thing. It would have ended the fight. So, obviously, Cormier is a fighter. He's not going to do that. So, 
it's it's strange. Uh, it was a weird thing. Um, I don't think it would have changed the fight. If uh, the only thing it might have done, uh, if the poke would have gotten seen, is end the fight early, and then that brings up a whole other litany of issues. So, I I uh, this is another thing that need probably needs to be addressed, and that is. What can you do when the in-cage official misses a, a call of, of, any, of any type of significance? And I don't know the answer. I mean, on paper, the easiest answer would be to have communication and an outside referee to, to catch these things, but only in egregious and potentially fight-changing instances should they be should that be used so maybe it's something to think about i mean it's definitely something to think about so let's see if uh if that gets addressed or if it just gets blown off like many other things do by um, some commissions and on that note i'm gonna call it a night edging in on 30 minutes here and until tomorrow stay safe